morning is uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. That's Romans chapter 3, 19 through 26. We now know, or now we know, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For the works of the law, no, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There are no distinction, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation for his blood to re be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of him who has faith in Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, the inspired word of God, the Bible that has stood the test of time. May we study it, memorize it, hide it in our hearts. Be with Pastor Dan as he brings forth a message now this morning. The message would be that you have given him. Help us to put aside all of our distractions and listen to your word. And may we leave challenged, encouraged, and blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. to be in Romans chapter 3 this morning. There are numbers of mighty, mighty words in Scripture that explain to us the wonderful plan of salvation. Hebrews talks about our so great salvation. There are many words in the Bible that explain that so great salvation, words such as regeneration or being born again. Jesus talked about that in John 3. Faith, repentance, justification, a great word used here in the book of Romans, adoption, sanctification, reconciliation, redemption. These are mighty words that God has given in Scripture to explain to us our so great salvation. We're going to look at one word this morning. It's going to be our focus. It's found here in Romans chapter 3. It's found in verse number twenty. Uh, five, you see the word propitiation. And I trust by the end of the message, we're going to have a clear handle on what this word means. The word's also found in 1 John. It's also found in the book of Hebrews. 
And so we're going to focus on this one word this morning. This passage has been called, that Brother Ken just read, the center of the Bible. This is the center and the heart of the Bible. And so we get a handle on the scripture, we will understand uh, what the Bible's all about. And this just goes so hand in glove with uh, Brother Wes's lesson from uh, Matthias Media this morning in Sunday school. Uh, So this, this dovetails all together just wonderfully this morning. You're taking notes there, and there's a sheet in your um, bulletin. We're going to look at number one. We're going to see this morning that God is righteous. God is righteous, right? He is just. He's absolutely upright. He's absolutely pure. He's intrinsically just. He's intrinsically upright. There is no flaw in God. Notice four times here in verses 21 and following, we read the righteousness of God. You see that in verse 21? And then verse 22, God's righteousness down in verse 25. Again, his righteousness in verse 26. Read in chapter 1, verse 17, about the righteousness of God, right? We read in scripture about God's righteousness. We read in God's word that the Lord does not change. We read that he is the father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We all vary. We all change. Uh, it's kind of like throwback Sunday. We're teasing Brother Merlin this morning. All right? We're all changing here. You, you, you folks have changed. I've changed in the last year. By the way, this is a year ago we last met. Remember that Sunday in March for several weeks together here? God doesn't change. Scripture says the Lord is good. He's good. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, no shadow in God, no confusion in God. We'll not be in heaven for a thousand years, and suddenly, aha, we find out something about God's character, and we're deeply disappointed. No, never. God cannot lie, Scripture says. It's impossible for God to lie, another Scripture says. Habakkuk says his eyes are too pure to look upon sin. God then never compromises his holiness, never. He never adjusts his righteousness. He never denies himself. He never condones sin. He never excuses it. He never ignores it. He never tolerates it. God is always consistent. The Lord never fluctuates. He doesn't shift. He doesn't learn. He never forgets. He never has to have his memory jogged. He never adjusts his thinking because new evidence has come in that he didn't know last week, and now, oh, now I have to adjust what I've thought about. I, the Lord, change not, the Bible says. Hebrews says of Jesus that he is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Pastor Andrew's series these last several weeks about beholding God. Again, we've seen the glory and majesty of God, right? And one of these aspects of the Lord is he's absolutely righteous, no variation in him. He's exalted above the heavens. He cannot look upon sin. He's absolutely righteous. We see this four times mentioned here in in our text before us in Romans chapter 3. Absolutely just. No spot, no blemish, no imperfection. So God is righteous. That's a given. 
Number two, we are not righteous. We are not righteous. See, God created our first parents. If you look at the biblical narrative, God created Adam and Eve upright. They were righteous. God gave them righteousness. In the book of Genesis, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, we see this harmony that existed in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 between the creator and his creation. We read through the first chapter of Genesis, this statement over and over again, again that it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And at the end of chapter 1, it was very good. That's in verse number 31. We read then in verse 27 of chapter 1, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created Adam, chapter 2, and then put Adam to sleep, and out of the side of Adam, remember, drew that rib, and out of that side of Adam, he created, chapter 2, verse 22, he made a woman and brought her to the man. There is this harmony, there's this communication that takes place. God speaks to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve speak to God. There's perfect harmony. There's perfect fellowship we see in the first two chapters of Genesis. There's no stain. There's no blemish. There's no decay. There's no transgression. There's no death in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Everything is very good. It's pristine. Perfect. The days of creation we read about there in the first chapter of Genesis. On day one, God did this. Day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. The apex of creation, the pinnacle of creation is indeed, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The very highest of creation is the creation of Adam and Eve. Psalm 139 We're wonderfully and fearfully made. The God, the creator, has made his creation, and it's all very good. But the biblical narrative goes on in the third chapter and shows to us that something horrible has gone awry. Because here in Genesis chapter 3, it says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And the serpent comes to Eve here, first of all, and says... Did God actually say? She begins to dialogue with the, the, the enemy, with the devil. She, she pulls her husband, Adam, into this. Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, the biblical narrative is clear. A, a literal man and woman made by God in the pristine garden choose to listen to the voice of the enemy rather than the voice of God. Suspicion is is woven into their minds. They begin to to engage with the enemy and believe that God somehow is against them, that he has something, uh, as it were, up his sleeve against them. And so they believe the devil's lie and they partake of that fruit. And the result is, is that the entire human race, you and I, you see, our first parents were Adam and Eve. The entire human race that has come from Adam and Eve thousands of years ago, not millions of years ago, but relatively few thousands of years ago. Every one of us are descended from Adam and Eve, and the Bible tells us in Romans 5, verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. We inherited this sin. We inherited death. We are, we are born alienated from God. 
1 Corinthians 15 says, for as by a man came death, that's Adam. For as in Adam all die, that's, that's what we have inherited. We, we are born dying. Very moment a little baby is born and there's the joy and the exuberance that this little baby, six or seven or eight pounds, or maybe bigger, has come out of the womb of mom. If it's bigger than eight pounds, oh, mom, might be a tough time, huh? But this little one has come out and the, with a great joy. Understand that little baby with life yelling at the top of his or her lungs is dying. Why? Because of this fact that we've inherited this sin, that we're under this sin, and Adam all die. All die, everyone. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how much money we have, where we live, what zip code we live in, you know, what side of the tracks we're on. It doesn't matter. You notice that rich people die also? And the famous die? Roger Mudd just died. I remember Roger Mudd. You watched the news back in the day, 91 years of age. Right? It doesn't matter how famous we are. We die. Why is it? Because we've inherited Adam's sin. Also, we're guilty on count number two, and that is every single one of us have personally violated, trespassed, fallen short of God's glory. We know this. We've not lived up to the light that we have. Romans 1.18, again, is very clear. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. You see, God is righteous. We saw that number one. Number two, though, we're not righteous. We are unrighteous. The verse goes on and says, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We push the truth down. We don't want the truth. In Romans chapter uh, 1, verse 29, it talks about we're filled with unrighteousness. We're filled with all manner of unrighteousness. And then in chapter 3, that both in Sunday school class and uh, right ahead of the passage that Brother Ken just read, there, there is from chapter 3, verse 10. Notice in 310, it says, as it is written. And what Paul does here, he lists a string of quotes from the book of Psalms and Isaiah marshalling this evidence of the fact that we've all fallen short of God's glory, and indeed there is none righteous, no, not one. Not a single one of us. John put it this way in John 3, 19, light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. That's the biblical narrative. That's the grid. That's the, the glasses through which we look at life today. That explains life. That explains that the world is not the way God made it. It's not the way things uh, God intended. But that's where we are today. We're guilty on two counts. One, we inherited this sin from Adam. Adam was responsible. Number two, we're, we're guilty because we indeed have personally violated what God said. We've not lived up to the knowledge that we have. So we're not righteous. So here's number three this morning. We are in big trouble, every single one of us. Color of our skin doesn't matter, education doesn't matter, IQ doesn't matter, zip code, residence doesn't matter. We are all in big trouble. Romans 2, again, verse number 5 says this, Romans 2, 5. 
But because of your hard and impenitent or unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Remember that God is righteous? We're not. So what's taking place here? We're storing up wrath. It's like we're putting God's wrath hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, however long we live in unrepentance, we're just storing up wrath. And so you think of a gallon, two gallons, three gallons, 50 gallons, 1,000 gallons. We're just storing up God's wrath on ourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will, will be revealed. The Bible teaches us that everybody knows that there's a payday someday. We know that. We know that intuitively. In Romans chapter 3, verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Paul sums up his argument. It's like he's in a court of law. He's summoned it up. He's marshaled all the scripture. He, he's, he's gone to the, to, the, to, the, uh, to the Gentiles. He's spoken to the Jews who are, who are more righteous, they think, in their own eyes, and keep the law, they think, in their own eyes. And he brings it all together and says the entire world stands guilty before God. We're in big trouble. Now, at this point, perhaps someone here or somebody watching online or somebody who may watch or are thinking something like this, well, you know, I'm a pretty decent person after all. Uh, I, I, I try to help people. I try to be generous. I don't swear. I don't steal from people. I, I try to step forward when opportunities come up and assist people. I do the best that I can. I'm true to myself. I remember every week, every week, as a scout, I would say the scout oath and the scout law. Every week, scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Every week, we would gather there in that little building behind the Methodist church there on the south side of Brownsburg, and I would say that, and our troop would say that. And so the idea can think that, you know what, we're pretty good. We assisted with, with different projects, helped polish the ambulance in Brownsburg. I mean, what more than that? Clean the ambulance up, right? Assist with different projects. But here's the thing, we're all guilty before God, every one of us. So let me ask some questions. Have you ever told a lie? You had no intention of keeping what you said. Ever become angry at someone and wish they'd just get out of the way? Yes, maybe even that they would just drop off the face of the planet. Have you ever looked on a woman, men, with a lustful intent? Have you ever made a promise to someone and deep inside you qualified what you said? Like, I'll do it if that's met or that condition's met. Have you ever retaliated against somebody and felt really, really good about it? I showed them who is boss. They won't do that again. Ever wish you possess what another person has? God calls that coveting. 
Something that belongs to somebody else, anything that is your neighbor's, the Bible says in Exodus, anything that belongs to your neighbor's. By the way, do you know the Bible teaches private ownership? That needs to be taught today. Have you ever passed judgment against somebody and then you turned around maybe five minutes later and did the exact same thing? Like, children always tell the truth. A few minutes later, the phone rings. Tell them dad's not home. Always obey the speed limit. But hey, that's just a suggestion. I'm an adult now. I can drive however fast I want. Uh, don't steal. But then what? Steal time from your employer. Oh, well, they won't miss it. It's a big company, big corporation. Don't commit adultery but commit adultery in our minds or commit actually physical adultery. See, we said things, we set this standard, and then we come along five minutes later, maybe five days later, and we break the very thing that we said. See, if we're honest, we need to conclude, as the Bible clearly teaches us, that we're, all of us are in very, very big trouble, terrible trouble. We don't live up to what we know. Scripture says God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 711. He's angry with the wicked every day. We are wicked. We are rebels. We are defied God. We want to be our own king. That's the whole point there of the live our two. We want to be the king. We want to be the king. We want to go our own way. Scripture says whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. So here we can be sailing through life thinking, man, we're really good. We're like the young man who came to Jesus. All these things I've kept from my youth up. Jesus gave him this list of things. I kept those. Check, 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 check. What's next? I got this under control. I have it covered. We can be sailing through life thinking that we've got all of this taken care of one time. We've broken the entire law. One time, we've broken all of it. That's the book of James. So if we're honest, we need to conclude we're in big, big trouble. And as a, as a mirror shows us the dirt on our face, so the mirror of God's word shows us the dirt in our hearts very clearly. When we're honest, it shows us we're in that deep trouble. It's like, friends, listen, it's like we've gone to the doctor and the doctors run a whole battery of tests, and the results have come back, and it's pretty bleak. I remember standing with my dad, message came back, your mom's in the hospital. We just saw her at Christmas years ago now. And this is like February, March, the word comes back. She has pancreatic cancer, and he just was shoved up against the wall. We were just like, The words come back, it's very bleak from the doctor. Folks, listen, the, the physician of heaven has run the test, the results are back, and we're in big trouble. <laughs> it's very clear we're in big trouble. It's not good news. Again, Romans chapter 1 says in verse 18, we suppress the truth. We dethrone God and enthrone self. We make self the measure of all things. You ever notice how that, that's our default position when we're in conversation that we're the hero. <laughs> we make ourselves look good, don't we? You know, we never lost an argument when we do a rerun. 
Lucifer, if I'd done this, 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 ah, then I would have won every time. Hands down, right? That's our default position because of our selfishness, you see. We, de- we want to be the king. We suppress the truth, Romans 1.18. It's like we're taking God's truth and we're stepping on it. We're hiding it. We're shoving it under. We're covering it up. Romans 5 gives us four words of our condition. It says we're weak, Romans 5, 6. We're ungodly, Romans 5, 6. We're sinners, Romans 5, 8. And we're enemies of God, Romans 5, 10. And they get progressively worse as you go through those verses. We're enemies of God. But I thought I was doing so good. But I thought I was helping people out. But I thought I was giving money to charity. I thought I was assisting in many different ways. That may be possible, but in terms of, of, of reaching heaven, we cannot do it. Colossians 2.21 says, We're alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We've missed the target. We're unrighteous. We've trespassed. We're lawless. We don't love God. We don't love others. We're rebels. We're hostile. John chapter 3, here's the religious Nicodemus, whom Jesus said, you must be born again. Very next chapter, here's this woman that Jesus is talking to. She's been married five times, and she's living with man number six. Both of them, whether in John 3 or John chapter 4, Jesus addresses their heart. They need to know him. So it doesn't matter if if we're very top of strata in society and religious and we're looked up to and we're educated and we're really intelligent, or we're just like, here is this woman who everybody knew about her character. Yeah, we know about her. It doesn't matter. Jesus addressed both of them, their heart condition. The Bible asks the question, Psalm 20, verse 9, who can say I've made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. In Psalm 130, verse 3, O you, O Lord, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Now, we study ancient history. You read past history. People worshipped many gods. It was called polytheism, many gods. And so if we were to go back, the Egyptians, uh, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, all had these different gods, God for everything, right? Now, these gods, you may remember studying any of the Greek and Roman mythology, these gods were, were petty. They were immoral. They were jealous of one another. They would constantly argue and fight and, and connive with one another and, 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 and plot against one another. They would become angry at the drop of a hat. And so what the people in ancient days did was, let's suppose, let's suppose they're going to take a, a voyage. And so they're going to get on the boat and go out into the Mediterranean Sea. And so... What they need to be sure of is that the God of the Mediterranean Sea, whichever uh, nation they may have been from, but whatever God they conjure up in their mind, we got to make sure that God is happy because we want to get to our destination safely, right? We don't want to drown. Remember Jonah? Remember he's in the big storm and the the, the sailors are saying, Talk to your God. He's, you know, man, what's going on? Jonah, talk to your God. Maybe we've missed one of them. Yours has a connection, you know. 
And so if you're going on a trip, you want to make sure the God of the ocean is happy. He's pleased. You want to remain in favor. You want to placate them. You want to have rain for your crops. You want to have healthy animals. You want to have a bountiful harvest. You surely want to have victory in war. And so to get what you want, you bribe your God. Try to bribe him. Buy him off. Get them to do what you want. Get them to look on you and smile on you with favor. Impress them by bringing expensive gifts. Maybe you give, bring uh, different types of food. Or you bring silver or gold. I remember when I was studying Hosea a few, a few weeks ago, how there that the people were kissing calves and killing babies. Remember that? Kissing calves and killing babies. They were seeking to appease Baal or Baal by bringing infants and offering their babies in sacrifice to get the attention of Baal who would say, I am impressed. You are bringing your child to sacrifice to me. You have just killed your baby. I'm impressed. I will give you whatever you're looking for. It twisted horrible thinking. Now, I suggest you that we don't have to go to ancient history to find that. Where we find in our own day, in our own thinking, we try to placate God. We try to impress God. We try to buy God off. We try to do something to get God on our side because we want him to smile on us. We want to seek to offset the bad stuff in our lives with good stuff kind of like a set of scales. We want the good to outweigh the bad, and so we just pile up all this good stuff, kind of like that young man. All these things I've done from my youth up, what do I, what do I lack yet? And so we'll go through these different things, all these good things that we seek to do. You know, I'll go to church. I'll buy a Bible. I'll read the Bible even. I'll give some money to the church or money to charity. I'll say my prayers. I'll be kind I'll try to be kinder to my siblings. I'll try to be kinder to my, my, my employees. I'll try to be kinder in the school, right? I'll give up some things. I won't have meat on Fridays. I'll observe Lent. I'll put some change in the Salvation Army kettle. I'll send funds when there's a tsunami or a hurricane. I'll go into a neighborhood, get a group of people together and, and go on, on a trip and paint houses or dig a well so people can have wonder, wonderful, fresh, clear water. And that's fabulous. But you see, the idea can be is that we're, we're, we're seeking to, to reach out and to impress God with our efforts. I'll try not to think bad thoughts. I'll try to be kinder. Or how about this one? You ever thought this or heard somebody say something along this line? Well, the good Lord's responsibility is to forgive. God will forgive. That's his duty. That's his job. God, after all, we think that God is easygoing. God's job is to be accommodating. Come on. We live in 2021. God will compromise. He'll negotiate. He'll concede. The Lord looks out upon the condition of the world and Adjust the standards. He what? Grades on the what? Curve, right? Because things are so bad. We might even have the idea that somehow God might think that all the instructions that he gave in the Old Testament scriptures about animal sacrifices, 
about the uh, priesthood, about the tabernacle, the Jewish tabernacle, later the Jewish temple, all of this business about the Day of Atonement there in Leviticus, uh, book of Leviticus chapter 16, or the Exodus there in Exodus 12, all of that business about lambs and bulls and goats, Day of Atonement, they'd take two goats and they would, they would kill one of the goats and they would take the other goat and lay their hand, the priest would lay his hand on the other goat and then that goat would be led out into the wilderness never to be seen again. And so we might think that somehow God might come to the conclusion, you know, I rethought everything I'd said back there. I rethought all about the Day of Atonement and the Exodus and the Lamb, the Passover Lamb and Tabernacle and the Temple and all that. And you know, after I really rethought all this, I think I really went over the top with all that business. I I think I went too far. I overstated it. I blew it out of proportion. I've thought through this again and I've changed my thinking. We might think that God might say, you know that business about Nadab and Abihu there in Leviticus where they offered unauthorized fire to me and they died on the spot. I was rather trite when I did that. I really overreacted. I got really upset too quickly. Or the matter with Uzziah. Remember Uzziah is bringing the, the, the Ark of the Covenant into the city and, 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 uh, and, and, and the Ark is sitting on an on a, uh, ox cart. Ox is pulling it. The oxen stumbles and perhaps probably even without thinking. Remember what Uzziah does? He just puts his hand out because the, the Ark may tumble off on the ground. Uzziah is killed on the spot. God says, I really thought through that. That was just really over the top. And we don't have to go in the Old Testament. We can go in the New Testament as well about Ananias and Sapphira. Maybe we've thought even here, God, that was rather harsh, don't you think? I mean, all they did was lie about a piece of property. Ananias is killed on the spot. A few hours later, his wife Sapphira is killed on the spot. So we might think that, God, that's just a little bit harsh. What in the world is going on? Lied about some dirt, some property? Well, let's back up and summarize for a minute. God is absolutely righteous. He's holy. We are not righteous. And friends, these are on a collision course, all right? God is righteous, and we're not. So we are in, indeed, big trouble. That's the biblical narrative, right? We can redefine sin. We can think Ananias and Sapphira, God, that was just over the top, and Nadab and Abihu and all these. That was just too much that God just has shifted his thinking. His job, his duty is forgive. But the truth of the matter is, God is always just. <laughs> he never varies. Remember, in him there is no variation or shadow of turning. You don't get up tomorrow, God's changed his mind from yesterday. <laughs> you, you don't wake up in 10 years down the pike, and and say, well, God's a lot different now than he was back in 2021. God is absolutely just, and that never changes. So here's the questions. How can the holy love of God come to terms with the unholy lovelessness of people? 
Our consciences are strong enough, one writer says, to condemn us because whatever revelation we have received in the Bible from nature, our constitution as human beings, we do not live up to what we know. And so how can the holy love of God come to terms with the unholy lovelessness of people? We don't even ever measure up. We never measure up. The writer said this, how can God express simultaneously his holiness in judgment and his love in pardon? What hope do any of us have? Why are we even here this morning? Why are we, why are we wasting our time? What, what are we up to anyway? How can the Lord be the righteous God and the Savior, as Isaiah 45 says? How can he be the righteous God, like we see here in Romans 3, Romans Four times. He's righteous, he's righteous, he's righteous. How can he be righteous and also the Savior? How can David say, notice and you have your Bibles in Romans 4. How can David say, Paul quotes him in verse 7 and 8, Romans 4, 7 and 8, quoting Psalms, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. How can David say that? How can Paul say that lawless deeds are forgiven? Is God just washing them under the carpet? How can sins be covered? Verse 8, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Wait a minute. God is absolutely righteous. How can David say that? How could Paul say that? How can God be just and the one who justifies? Just and justifier there in Romans 3.26. How can he be just? How can he be righteous and justifier? How can God uphold his justice and declare a person to be righteous? I'm just saying the same thing in little different angles here. How could God declare me righteous when I am not in myself? How can God justify the guilty and not compromise his justice? How can he justify you and I who are guilty, who are under God's holy, just wrath, and not compromise who he is? Point number four. God himself provided the solution. <laughs> this is amazing. God himself provided the solution, right? Look at Romans 3.25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. Who is that? Verse 24. In Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Friends, listen. We had nothing to do with securing this plan. God didn't call a Zoom meeting and ask for our input. He didn't say, what should I do now? What, is your, what are your suggestions? Right. See, we're not appeasing God. This doesn't come from us. Remember what I talked about? If you're going on a cruise in the Mediterranean back years ago and you want to make sure the God of the Mediterranean is happy and so you bring him whatever. This isn't what we're talking about. This isn't originating from us. Where does this originate? From heaven. God himself originates this. He initiates this. Right? God put Jesus on public display. Notice this. Whom God put forward. Whom God set forth. Jesus dying on the cross wasn't done at night. I know it turned dark, but it was in the daytime. 
Jesus dying on the cross wasn't done out in the wilderness somewhere. It was done in a very public place. People were coming and going. Remember, people were mocking. They were ridiculing. They were laughing. They beat their breasts, chests after, after he died and went back into the city. Very, very public place. Jesus was put forth by God in the public place on the cross. Isaiah says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. This is God's plan. God initiated the plan. God came up with a plan so that we could be saved and God's holy justice be upheld. Only he could do this. God's plan. Listen, Romans, or probably Acts 2.23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Friends, this wasn't just God knew this was going to happen. This is the definite plan, Acts 2.23. This is the plan. This is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. God's holy plan. Now, it's not that God was angry. The Father was angry. He was upset. And so Jesus went in and had a little talk with him. Kind of calmed him down. Absolutely not. Jesus pacified him. Jesus kind of won him over, right? No, Scripture teaches there's perfect harmony in the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This was God's plan from eternity past, all right? So it's not in any way Jesus is just trying to calm the Father down. This is God's plan, which was that God put Christ forward as a propitiation. He set him forth in history. He set him forth in very public way so that all could see. You and I today, by faith, believing God's word, we can see God's plan. Now, I tried to think this week of illustrations of this, of Christ is our propitiation. What does this mean? Whom God put forward, put Christ forward as a propitiation. We're all familiar, I think, on, the, on our automobiles, right? The bumper. What does it do if you hit something? It absorbs. Now, it didn't used to be that way, right? Here's a big hang, hang, piece of iron hanging out there, and wham! But now the bumper's all this plastic. I hit a deer a couple years ago, and you look at it, you couldn't even tell it. Or because it was designed, the car was designed to absorb, right? Turned out about $3,000 worth of damage, they said, but we couldn't see a thing, right? The, the, the cars are designed to absorb, right? Absorb the, the, the strike of the deer, for example, the impact of a deer. Maybe you come up and you hit a wall or you hit another car. Now, now go too fast, right? Then it starts flying. Pieces of car, you know, after, after the winter in, along the roads, you have pieces of car everywhere, right? There's a bumper. That was my bumper last week or whatever, you know? So the bumper absorbs the impact, Think about a lightning rod on a barn or a building. A lightning rod is high on the peak of that building or high on the top of the building, like the Empire State Building. I looked at a video this week thought about using it, of lightning strikes on the Empire State Building in New York City. And the lightning strikes that rod that is high up in the air, right? And the power of that lightning strike, which is massive, 
hits that rod, the rod receives that lightning strike, the power of that uh, a lightning strike goes down the rod and then goes down a, a cable that goes down the side of the building or the barn, and the power just goes right down. It doesn't stop in the cable. Where does it go? Right in the ground. Rather than blowing that building apart, the power of that lightning strike goes from the rod to the cable into the ground. Think about this, friends. You and I are under the wrath of God. Remember, he is righteous and we are not. We are under God's wrath. The wrath of God, Romans 1.18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who are suppressing the truth. You and I are under, pardon me, God's wrath. We're under God's wrath. And so what takes place? Is that as the water is absorbed by the sponge. So God's holy wrath was absorbed by the Lord Jesus Christ when he hung on that cross. Wrath fell on him. He absorbed the Father's wrath. Notice here, what does it say? Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, right? In Jesus' death on the cross, God's holy fury was averted, was quenched, was turned aside, was turned away, was dealt with, was extinguished, right? As we were under God's holy wrath, Christ stepped forward and absorbed that. Now we are freed from wrath because he is the wrath-removing sacrifice. God came up with this plan. This is God's initiative. We didn't, we didn't consult God. He didn't consult us. We didn't get together and compare notes. All we have done, people have done through history, we want to try to get on the right side of God and so we'll bring whatever, try to get the attention of God, however God has we perceive him and hope maybe we can get him happy so he'll give us what we want. This is not what we're talking about. This is God's initiative. God put his son forward as a propitiation. Christ is the wrath-removing sacrifice. Now, Leon Morris has said this, this is not celestial bribery. For the removal of wrath is due to God himself. We're not trying to bribe God. God did it. Stott said this, God satisfied himself by substituting himself for us. Write that down. God satisfied himself by substituting himself for us. Now again, remember, God isn't, he didn't get ticked off in the sense of Jesus has to come in and kind of settle down the Father. This is the holy plan of God from eternity past. This is the way that wrath is taken care of. And so now, God can remain just and justifier. You see that in chapter 3, verse 26? How can it be just and justifier? The fact is, God's wrath fell on God himself. So now he can turn about and declare us righteous. 
So this glorious truth of propitiation involved, notice verse 25, the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ takes us back to the Old Testament scriptures that I referenced a little while ago. It takes us back to the lambs, bulls, and goats. It takes us back to the, to the uh, Passover. It takes us back to the Day of Atonement in Leviticus. It takes us back to the violent death of those animals. Animals. Innocent animals. Every time a bull, every time a lamb, every time a goat was slain, can you stop and think about it? There were tens of thousands of gallons of blood that were shed, that was that spilled over those hundreds of years before the tabernacle, at the tabernacle, with the temple. Tens of thousands of blood of innocent animals killed. What does it all mean? It talks about a violent, sacrificial death. How was our redemption? come about by his blood. It involved the violent death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't die a quiet death, did he? He just didn't somehow, you know, he, he was strangled or, or he drowned, which it would be horrible. But this was violent. This was massive. This, this was public. This is, went over for, ye, for, for hours and hours, excruciating pain. And then to be Father, as it were, turned his face aside as Jesus Christ became the wrath-removing sacrifice. It was all by his blood. Violence here. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away a sin, but the the blood of Christ was the only wrath-removing sacrifice. Romans 5, 9 says this, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You get that? Here's the wrath of God, all right? How can we be rescued? It involves the blood of Christ, his violent, sacrificial death, whereby he became the wrath-removing sacrifice. We sing the song sometimes, the Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at the table, Jesus, thank you. Well, someone says, what about the former sins? We're hastening along here. What about the former sins? Was God indifferent? Was he sleeping? Uh, Did he choose not to deal with those sins? What about Abel and, 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 and before that, Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah and David and all of the Old Testament saints? What about them? Was God just somehow asleep? Notice it says, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show, that is, propitiation was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. What about these former sins? After defying God, how could Adam and Eve ever come back? It was because of Calvary. That was going to happen yet in the future. What about Abraham? He lied. We believe the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness, as quoted over there in Romans chapter 4. It's only because of Calvary he could be counted righteous. How can we read the words in Leviticus? I read Leviticus several weeks ago, and you have that repeating phrase, he shall be forgiven, it shall be forgiven, it shall be forgiven. How can God say that? He's a God of holy wrath because of Calvary. Even Leviticus was hundreds of years before. How could David write, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered? It's only because of Calvary. 
How could Isaiah announce, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be what? As white as, it's all gone, isn't it? A six-foot pile across my room. <laughs> There's gone. How can our sins be as white as, uh, as snow? It's because of Calvary. God just didn't wink at sin. He just didn't go to sleep. He didn't just grade on the curve. It wasn't, well, God is, that's, the God, that's God's business just to forgive. No, no. How could Habakkuk voice such confidence that just shall live by faith? Because of Calvary. So that's those in the former days. What about those in the present time? Propitiation was the show, verse 26. His righteousness at the present time, right? How can God be just and justifier? It's because of Calvary, because of what took place at Calvary, because Jesus Christ was the wrath-removing sacrifice. So the sins of the people in the past and sins of the people in the present were dealt with at Calvary. Beloved, listen, God's holy justice was upheld and his mercy was extended. Thus, he can be just and the justifier, verse 26. I hope you see that. His justice is not a set aside. He doesn't water it down. He doesn't dilute it. He's absolutely just. He's absolutely upright. That never changes. So how can he save anybody? Because God dispatched his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the holy Godhead, before time began, there was that plan of salvation to rescue you and I who cannot placate God. We cannot come to God on our terms and somehow try to buy God off. So God stepped forward and sent Christ to be the propitiation. I love another old song. Here is love. The second stanza says, On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. That's the cross. That's propitiation. Jesus became the wrath-removing sacrifice. Friends, listen, as the ark was the only place of safety for, for uh, Noah and his family from a universal flood, so underneath the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only place of safety from the wrath of God the Father. He's not ticked off. He didn't go overboard with Nadab and Abihu and Ananias and Sapphira. He is absolutely just. He doesn't ever grade on the curve. But the only place of safety is to stand under the cross, <laughs> If you and I go anywhere else in the world, we try any other religion in the world, we try our own efforts, we try our own works. We're not in the place of safety. We're not in the ark. In the ark is the only place of safety. Only Jesus is the wrath-removing sacrifice. Notice what we're to do. Notice the number of times here. Verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Notice in verse 25, do we receive by faith? We're believing God. Notice verse 26, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcision or circumcised, that's the Jews, by faith, and the uncircumcised, that's Gentiles, you and I, through faith. 
Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Friends, we believe God. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that all who look have eternal life. See? It's a matter of believing. It's a matter of trusting God. It's a matter of recognizing I'm not the king. God is the king. He has declared this is the way that we come to him. And gloriously, marvelously, this powerful, majestic word in Holy Scripture that he has put forth Christ as a propitiation. He is the wrath-removing sacrifice. The old song again says this, Love found a way to redeem my soul. Love found a way that could make me whole. Love sent my Lord to the cross of shame. Love found a way. Oh, praise his holy name. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you today that you set forth Jesus Christ as our propitiation. You're holy, you're righteous, and you're just. That never wavers, that never changes. So how could the holy, righteous God of the universe rescue anyone? How can any of us have any hope? How can any of us know our eternal destination? The reason is because Christ became the propitiation. He received in himself, he absorbed in himself God the Father's wrath, holy wrath, so that God now can be just and justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. And Lord, I pray for, for, for all as we're listening that we would be a people taken up by this, standing in glory and majesty of this, thinking of how wonderful, how majestic this is. May we never relinquish this truth. May we never allow this truth somehow to slip from our thinking. That on the cross, Jesus received God the Father's holy wrath. And where judgment has fallen, judgment will not fall again. He is the wrath-removing sacrifice. And it's by faith we believe this. We trust what God said because we're not the king. You're the king. So we humbly bow before you today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I've shared with some of you before that my, I was telling Pastor Dan just before he came out to preach that my, I'm a nerd. My, my favorite word in all the Bible is propitiation. Uh, and I hope after you have heard that message, you would affirm that with me and understand why. Uh, God has provided what he demanded. Um, Pastor Dan was sharing some illustrations. I just want to share a quick one that's resonated deeply with me. If you can picture yourself standing in front of Hoover Dam. Can you picture that? A massive structure holding back how many thousands of gallons of water. And you're standing there maybe 10 feet out staring at it. And, so, and this, this illustration isn't original to me, but suddenly that dam starts to crack what are you possibly going to do? You're a goner, right? Because that water is going to come through and, and destroy you. But then imagine, just as it cracks and the water starting to gush out, that the whole earth opens up below you and absorbs all that water. That's propitiation. 
that Jesus satisfied the wrath of God that was coming at you like a flood. And it all was satisfied by Christ. He's our propitiator, and God is thus propitiated 